because of all these different variables, you get hit with like millions of decision points every single day. And until you generalize your decision-making process into principles and beliefs, uh, you're going to basically, as a CEO or as a founder, you're going to burn out every morning answering, no, we can't build this. Yes, we can build that. No, we can't do this. No, we don't do this like that. We are right at the cusp of something huge. We are at a crossroads and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. You're listening to The Growth Show with Mike Volpe. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Growth Show. I'm Megan Keeney-Anderson, Director of Product Marketing here at HubSpot. And I'm joined today by Des Trainer. Des is the co-founder and chief strategy officer at Intercom. Des, thanks so much for joining us. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thanks, Megan. Awesome. So we actually, we thought it would be good to have Des come on and talk about product and product strategy because we haven't really done that yet on the growth show and it's obviously integral to building a company that scales. Uh, and honestly, Des, Des is one of the best in the business when it comes to product strategy and managing growth. Uh, Intercom, his company, just released uh, a really strong book on product development and uh, their blog and Des's posts um, in particular are uh, incredibly helpful when it comes to understanding the customer and learning how to listen to the customer and build that into your growth strategy. Um, so first of all, actually, Des, why don't you give us some background on Intercom for those who not, may not be as familiar with it. What does Intercom do? Sure. Uh, Intercom is a customer communication platform for internet businesses. So we like to say that it's one place for your entire business to see and talk to your customers. We started it back in August 2011 as four founders. We're now today, we're just over 4,000 paying customers. So it's uh, it's been quite a journey for us. Yeah, that's awesome. So you're, you're just over 4,000 now. Remi- rewind us back to the beginning of the company. How did things get started? So <clears throat> Intercom was a solution to a problem that we've had many, many times. We'd built uh, four founders. We had a design consultancy together. We'd had a, a previous startup called Exceptional. And we've basically found this recurring problem with every internet business we had, which is that we had all of these customers. We did not have a clue who they were. Mm-hmm. Whenever we wanted to talk to them, it was a mess. It was like, hey, we need to talk to everyone who signed up last week. Okay, off we go to PayPal, export a list, import it into Campaign Monitor or SurveyMonkey, fire out a question, all the replies come back in Gmail, someone has a bug, file a ticket in Lighthouse. And it was just going round and round in circles. And what it meant was, because it was so hard, we just didn't bother doing it. Right. Uh, so because it was so tricky to talk to customers, it just became something that we tried to work around. So it's much easier, say, for example, to speculate or guess than it is to actually take a customer opinion. And what was interesting was, uh, we, if you compare that, like the disconnect, and what I really mean by the disconnect is, like any business that, you know, pre-intercom, I guess, uh, would have easily hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people relying on their product every day. But there's no direct connection between the person and the company other than your recurring PayPal charge. So uh, if you compare that with, say, your local coffee shop in Boston, uh, where if you call in there most days, he or she will remember your name, they'll remember your order, they'll be friendly, they'll know what sort of drink you like, they'll know if you stop coming along, then, you know, they'll, you know, they'll at least acknowledge that they've lost a customer. Yeah. Uh, and they get this sort of personal connection. 
So we like to say that intercom is a way we can make web business personal. The other comparison I often draw is like, if, uh, if you're like a waiter in a restaurant or if you're the chef in a restaurant and you're trying out a new dish, let's say you're trying out a French onion soup that you want to see if people like. In the real world, what you do is you go ahead to the people who've ordered and you say, hey, are you enjoying that soup? Is it nice? Uh, you know, any feedback on the flavor? Right. In the internet world, like seven days later, you email every person who's ever been in your restaurant a link saying, dear sir, please visit this survey monkey link. And question one, did you or did you not have a visit our restaurant? Question two, if right. you did, did you have the soup? Question three, do you happen to remember if it was nice? And like the disconnect between that and actual raw in context conversations is like, is significant. And intercom is basically the tool that breaks down those barriers that truly connects businesses with customers. And as I said, it, it didn't come out of nowhere for us. It came from a point of frustration with every other product we've, we've gone through where we just were so lost from our customers. Yeah, it actually strikes me too that, um, you know, feedback in that mechanism, when you're asking for it after the fact, seems more like an obligation to the customer. And it instead of something that's helpful, that's more of a conversation that's happening in real time, you have to remember what you thought of it, you have to take the time to respond. And to me, that seems like a disconnect too, in terms of customer experience. Absolutely. It's it's kind of well proven as well that like the the memorable moments, if you consider like the restaurant you were in last week, you're only going to remember it if it's either end of the spectrum. So what you, your feedback tends to skew towards something that's not necessarily accurate as well. Yeah. Uh, it's like it, Yelp has this problem, for example, where like a lot of people who self-select, the experience was so bad I had to go and write a review, or the experience was so great that I felt obligated. Uh, it's not the same thing as actually talking to regular customers. So what you get is this warped sense of reality where everyone has these extreme opinions. Right. And in reality, like when you're actually talking to people in context, you're like, yeah, the soup's okay, but it's you know it's not the most important issue of my life, life right now, you know. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a, it's it's definitely a thing. Yeah. So if you were giving advice to an executive who's starting to build his business, how would you tell him or her to think through building the product and marketing and selling uh, together? Is that, you know, is there an order there that you, that you would recommend? Do you build them all up at the same time? What's your strategy there? It, I think it all comes down to the founding principles. Uh, a lot of people uh, in startups will build a tool because they are trying to scratch an itch. They had a very particular problem themselves, and that is exactly what they're hell-bent on solving. But it's quite a, those, that type of approach can, be, can tend to be quite self-obsessed. It's like once you've solved your own problem, you don't see the need for any future problem. Uh, and it, it produces certain types of products. Some people could call them like niche, possibly. But sure. more, more generally, it's a, it tends to be a... a non-generalizable problem, I guess, or you abstract it to the point where you're no longer the best tool for the exact itch you had. Um, other people start off with the customer in mind and they sort of say, hey, I, I noticed that I've been working in a design agency and no one has a really good CMS. All of our people hate their CMS, right. so we're going to go and build a CMS. And the danger you have there is that you're heavily, you're probably overskewed by customer pain and empathy and not enough by actual product uh, thought. So you'll tend to build too much of your customer feedback into the tool and not enough actual product vision. The, the re repeating type right now you see in the valley, and I'm just listing these out because the kind of how you manage a product is, is a function of how you actually decided to create it in the first place. But uh, the, the popular type right now you'll see a lot of, uh, I guess popular modern startups be is like the X for Y type startups. So like, you know, we're Uber, but for right. school children or whatever. 
And like usually what you're doing there is you're following some uh, generalizable pattern that exists in business. So like what is Spotify? Spotify is a way to stream content instead of owning it for a subscription charge. So what would Spotify look like for baseball? Oh, okay. So, you know, you can uh, sort of see how that unfolds. And generally speaking, uh, when you talk about like having a strategy and how to connect marketing, product, sales, et cetera, together, it really falls out of that. Um, the areas where, like, you know, where I think product strategy is most important is like, it gives the founders a set of, you know, I mean, what, what is strategy at its highest level? Strategy is like a high level plan to achieve one or more goals under conditions which are usually chaos or at the very least uncertainty. Sure. Um, product strategy then falls out of that. Product strategy is like, how do I build a successful product in this crazy changing environment where everything's, you know, we're, we're all using watches one year and phones the next and all right. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so then, like, what you need a product strategy for, or what you need a general business strategy, but specifically in product, is because of all these different variables, you get hit with, like, millions of decision points every single day. And until you generalize your decision-making process into principles and beliefs, uh, you're going to basically, as a CEO or as a founder, you're going to burn out every morning answering, no, we can't build this, yes, we can build that, no, we can't do this, no, we don't do this like that. So what your strategy is, is kind of a codified way. And this is why people say uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast, by the way, because culture governs it uh, heavily. But um, what your strategy is in product terms is like a codified way to make to make like, accurate decisions that keep you on course for your product. Yeah. And talking about those decisions, uh, one of the posts that you've written that I really like is on probably because it has to do with baked goods. Uh, it's It's your cupcake theory to product development. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So I have to uh, credit it back one to Adaptive Path. A guy called Brandon Scherer actually introduced me to the point. But like the when I talk about cupcakes, I find it's a really simple example to illustrate a point, which is most people, if they're to sit down and plan out a important cake, you know, it's let's say it's the cake for the most important ceremony in their lives, their wedding cake. And by the way, when you're planning out your startup, you have to assume it's the most important thing you're going to do in your life. Otherwise, you're in trouble from the start. Right. So, uh, so let's say you're sitting there to make this cake and it, and it really matters that you get it right. There's basically two schools of thought uh, about how you could go about doing this. One school would have you, well, you know, let's go and get a whole base team and their job is to work really hard on grading and perfecting a, a base. So they're working on a cake base. And then after that, you've got another team who are going to work on icing and someone else is going to work on filling. And you have this ship date, which is like in five months from now. And in five months from now, you're going to put the whole lot together and try and make it. And fingers crossed, it all works out. Sure. And the danger is like you end up on your wedding day or on your like your child's christening day or whatever day finding out that it turns out chocolate vinegar and carrot is actually a shitty cake you know or like uh or you know we don't have an oven and we just had this hard assumption that we'd have an oven and it would work and the cake would fit in the oven and we never bothered checking that assumption until today and now we've learned that we can't make the cake uh, another way to do this would be well let's start off with a cupcake a very, very small implementation that tests the biggest assumptions we're making about our, our better product. And let's find out by spending as little as possible and taking as short amount of time as possible, what can we actually do to learn here? So with a cupcake, you'd immediately learn that it turns out chocolate, carrot, and vinegar do not go well together. Sure. So you, so one week in, you'd have the learning that you're otherwise postponing for like you know five months or whatever. Uh, you'd also find out, will it fit in the oven? Does the oven work? Can you serve it? Is it generally appreciated? The key point is that like you test your assumptions early, you get the feedback from the users early, 
Uh, if you're a startup, you'll also start growing a user base early, uh, much, much quicker than the sort of older approach, which is to like, like leave everything to the end. And quick user feedback like, is just really important because it's what tells you if your product beliefs and principles are actually correct. Yeah. Like, do people really believe it's valuable to see who is using their product or or like, is it really valuable to be able to like, you know, write blog posts or assign blog posts around a team or whatever your product does. But uh, it's, you know, if you don't have that feedback early, you're, you're likely to spin your wheels and burn many, many months just, you know, crossing your fingers and kind of relying too much on gut and hope. Yeah, and it sounds to me like, you know, that's we're certainly in the world of product here, but that's definitely business advice as well as, you know, um, for anyone growing a business, being able to get that feedback quickly, get be able to reinvest based on that feedback. I think a lot of, you ask any business owner and they're going to understand that customer feedback is important, but I think there are different skill sets to being able to actually glean out that customer feedback. Do you have any advice for how to actually get good, honest customer feedback? Certainly. So the most important, like the, you know, we have a few different uh, takes on this, but like the way I always start with this is you divide into two things. Uh, who are you asking and what are you saying? Mm-hmm. And who are you asking is really important. I think this is generally, uh, it, you know, the most common mistake I see uh, what internet businesses anyway make, is, which is they treat all feedback as equal. So if like, you know, if you're like Instagram there's a big difference between somebody who signed up yesterday and somebody who's been on since your early beta. And there's a big difference between a person with a thousand photos and a person with two photos. Sure. And a person who uses 50 filters and zero filters. So when you try out something like, hey, we're thinking of launching a new filter editor uh, and you're looking for feedback, it obviously matters who you talk to. Uh, because you know how knowledgeable is the feedback, is, or how knowledgeable is the source of the feedback is a massive, massive component of how good the feedback is likely to be. Right. So talking to the right people. If you want feedback on your onboarding and your product, talk to people who recently onboarded. If you want feedback on your calendar tool, talk to people with lots of calendar events. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like a tautology, but because the tools did not make this easy for so long, uh, it just became the norm that you just bulk mail everyone. Hey, how are we getting on? And, you know, so anyway, that that's definitely one piece of it. Talk to the right people. And then secondly, if you're talking to the right people, you can ask way more specific questions. So, you know, if you know you're talking to people who've used the calendar a lot, you can drop the whole you know, rambling intro of you may have noticed that four weeks ago we added a calendar tool to our thing. Sure, you know, yeah. you to say, hey, as somebody who's like creating 20 events a day, uh, we'd love to know how we improve the workflow for you. Or if you're talking to people who've never used you, like, hey, we shipped a calendar tool and you haven't touched it. Just wondering what's going on here. Uh, or like it could be, hey, we noticed you stopped using a calendar tool. Uh, what's the problem? And you'll get like specific targeted feedback from the right people and you're able to ask them the right questions. And so that's the, the general principle of feedback is the right people and the right question. And usually people like, you know, there's lots of further subtleties in terms of the wording, in terms of how you actually ask people, uh, how you structure the question. But like if I give you like the 80-20 of it, like getting the right people and asking, asking the good questions is actually the lion's share of the advice I have. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, and that's actually a good segue. Let's kind of shift gears into from product into lessons from growing companies. Uh, who are the businesses that you look up to right now? Who do you respect? Uh, I've, I'm a very, very positive, optimistic person. So there's going to be, there's going to be lots of answers here. But like, <laughs> like that about you? Yeah, uh, like I, anyone who's like basically grown a company and and like consistently put themselves out there and maintained integrity and you know uh, 
hasn't like you know basically hasn't exploited any cheap hacks or like short-term tricks to get there i have infinite respect for it. so on one hand like if you want to talk about the the new like the new unicorn clubs or whatever like i would certainly say companies like stripe like slack or whatever have definitely like uh you know they've identified a core valuable piece of product and extended on it gracefully without loading it and they've done so repeatedly for a year two years three years four years in stripe's case and uh, and like they've done really really well and then to move out of this sort of the the pop startups du jour like i have a lot of time for companies like new relic like zendesk like yeah. hubspot who are like obviously massive successful like there are companies that it's it's a joy to look up to because they've like paved the way of showing that like product driven companies can lead the way and uh, and it's it's you know it's great to have you know as i said public company reminders that this shit is possible. Right, yeah. It's refreshing to hear you say that too because I think there is a lot of focus right now on hacks that you can do to grow your company and um, sort of short-term things. And, and it seems like the companies that you called out here are really more um, in-depth in the way that they're building growth into the product. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you guys will notice better than me, but like, I think every, uh, like, you know, marketing channels generally tend to come in two, four, two types. Like, there's the short-lived thing that works a little bit once, such as like, give us your phone book and we're going to spam the shit out of your contacts. Yep. And then, and then there's like this sort of stuff that's like slower to pay off, but it's way more meaningful. So content marketing, for example, which HubSpot would be like an advocate of, like that has like a slower but compound return years and years later. So you don't know the value of the blog post you're writing right now, but uh, because, and like tomorrow is the wrong time to judge the ROI. Give it a couple of years and then look back and see how it worked. Uh, and like, I think, you know, if you're willing to stick to your principles and be patient, you can enjoy massive compound returns. If you want to chase the quick wins, you know, uh, by all means, Godspeed. It'll work, and it, and it can be done in like graceful ways too. Uh, like I can think of referral mechanisms that didn't bug the hell out of me. Like Dropbox comes to mind. They just did it really well and really, really nicely. Like it always felt like it was a two-way reciprocative thing. Um, but uh, I think you know, in general, like. The way to out Dropbox, Dropbox will not be to do a refer a friend for an extra 250 megabytes of space anymore. You'll have to do something new. Um, but I, I think in general, like communities like growth hacking, um, to some degree, A-B tests fall into this category occasionally. They tend to sort of deify this one unique approach that's definitely going to solve your core problem. And I think that's good for course correction or for like a little bit of optimization, but it's not something to steer the ship by. It's, it's like not something that's going to like point you the way towards being like the billion dollar company, the public company, whatever whatever it is, is your aspirations. And I think if you look at companies like say SocialCam and Viddy are probably the two biggest examples of this, but mm -hmm. there will be more, there'll be many more in the years to come. Uh, it, they're good examples of how, yes, you can hack and jig your way into people's Facebook streams and get them accidentally auto-tweeting on your behalf, but it, that just gets you a little bit of publicity. It doesn't necessarily, like, it doesn't mean they stick around. At the end of the day, people stick around for quality product, not because they keep seeing you in a newsfeed. Awesome. That's really helpful. Well, perfect. We'll leave it there. Des, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It was great to have you. Um, and I want to thank all of you for listening to this episode of The Growth Show. I will say if you enjoyed this episode, it would be awesome if you could leave us a quick review on iTunes. Also, if you want to um, chat about this episode, share some feedback or suggest future guests, we love that stuff. So you can join this discussion in a dedicated group that we have on inbound.org backslash growth. That's it for us. Thanks for joining and we'll talk to you all again soon.
The most fun part of the growth show is talking to you guys when you can hear me perfectly. I can hear myself more than perfectly through these ridiculous headphones and I can't hear you guys because there's this glass between us and I can see you're I'm like trying to learn lip reading. But the, the most fun part of the show is like literally what we're doing right now, which is you guys are now laughing at me. I can't hear you laughing, but I can see that you're laughing and you're about to tell me something. I'm like, oh, say this. And I don't know what you're talking about. So you see, you guys built the studio wrong. You're supposed to have one of those buttons you can push. And then like the producer voice comes in. Like they do that at Howard Stern all the time. You're supposed to have that little button you can push and be like, and then it comes in this like kind of tin canny voice. And you're like, well, actually you need to talk about this thing, right? Like that's how it's, you're supposed to, and I'm supposed to be able to hear it and be like, oh, now you're talking about it. Yeah. And you're like, oh, we got walkie-talkies. Like why the, why don't you just have a little thing with the button like everyone else does? Why do you have to go wireless with the walkie-talkies? Yeah. And now, and now you're trying to come back to me with an answer and I can't hear you because I, my walkie-talkies turned off. That's my favorite part. All right.